0: Cancer, also called the big C. We're going to discuss how cancer grows in the body, the role of the immune system to prevent cancer and reverse cancer with Dr. Matt Halpert
1: your body will use the path of least resistance in terms of energy consumption and how it operates. And in some cases, you know, if you're running a race against 10 other people, you you want to follow the path of least resistance, you're trying to win a race. But most of the time, you know, if you're trying to uh, get stronger, you know, in in the gym, path of least resistance is not your friend. Add more weight, you know? And in a sense, it's sort of the same here. You eat simple carbs and and sugars and things that your body can very easily break down and use, it will, but that is not necessarily the best stuff to empower your, your underlying functions, your immune response and things like that.
0: We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today's episode is a very important life-changing episode with Dr. Matt. I first met Dr. Matt a few months ago in Salt Lake City, Utah at Dr. Pampa's Live It to Lead It seminar. We were both speaking at that seminar and Dr. Matt Halpert went on stage right after me. So he watched me speak, I watched him speak, and I was just blown away by the research he's doing. He, His colleague, Dr. Rafael Gonzalez, who's a world-renowned doctor, um, is has been on the show before, and Dr. Raphael said, you got to bring Dr. Matt on the show. And that's the result of today's episode. You're going to hear all about his backstory, and then we're going to get into the immune system and essentially how the immune system, when it falls asleep, cancer grows. Cancer is not targeted. It metastasizes, and that's where it becomes problematic. We'll get into some of the pitfalls with conventional treatment to cancer, like chemotherapy, and what that does to kind of blast the immune system. And yeah, it could probably wipe out some of the destruction in terms of cancer, but wipe out some of the good guys as well. He's going to get into immunotherapy. And this is a special type of therapy that they run at their Immunocene cancer center in Mexico that helps to wake up the immune system. Because essentially what happens is the immune system loses its understanding. He He calls the immune system getting ignorant. And it allows cancer to grow. So this is a unique therapy that has, he's going to share some incredible results, that has the ability to wake up the immune system and target the cancer growth and prevent it from growing and actually reverse the growth and reverse cancer. This is crazy. I mean, I I finished this episode with him and I was just blown away. So much so that me and Dr. Matt got together and we wrote an article on the benefits of keto for cancer. And you could find that actually in the notes down below. It's published. It just got published. And I'm collaborating with Aminosine to develop some ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting protocols for their cancer patients. So that's going to be... A co- I'm an, I'm honored to do that. It's such a cool collaboration. So we'll get into different types of cancers, which ones do this type of therapy, immunotherapy, work well for versus those that don't. He's going to share some stories of cancer patients. And these are just incredible stories. I'm talking about people who essentially were told by conventional doctors that they had to get their affair in orders and they had months to live. And they are living now and living and breathing. And it's a testament to the incredible human body. So you are going to be blown away from today's conversation with Dr. Matt Halpert. Before I bring him on, I want to acknowledge... to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is from Doug and Kate. And Doug and Kate, I know exactly who you are. I love you both, Admiral Doug Fierce. Thank you so much for always listening to the show. And here's what Doug and Kate wrote. Five-star review titled, My Can't Miss Self-Care Health Podcast. I've been a regular follower of Ben's podcast for about three years, and I've learned so much. He routinely approaches his subject matter. In earnest, with great curiosity and passion, three years into my health journey, Ben has been a steady guiding voice. I am grateful to have discovered his podcast, and I'm also grateful for his cohort of merry health crusaders. I love that. I feel and perform 300% better than I did three years ago by applying time-restricted eating, clean eating, keto flexing, removal of toxic seed oils, and growing a suite of biohacks. Keep it coming, brother, and thank you. Doug, you are awesome. I I mean, I've referenced Doug's story a lot in previous episodes. Doug has been an admiral with the United States for so many years. And he has shared a story before where pain to purpose. I mean, he has overcome so many health challenges when he started to prioritize his health. And Doug, I know how much you study. I know how many podcasts you listen to and books you read. So I'm honored that you chose my podcast as one of the podcasts in your arsenal. Proud of you. Keep rocking. You're incredible. And I really appreciate you leaving the rating and review. Only, only question is this, Doug. Three years and now you leave the show a rating and review. What's up with that, man? <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, if you haven't left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so. It really makes a big difference. And maybe I'll read yours on the next episode and give you a nice shout out. Just a reminder we are only a couple of days away from our seven day. Keto Kickstart Challenge. It is free. And we have guest speakers such as Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Ken Berry, and Dr. Boz. We also have the Keto Camp team joining and special guests, other special guests I'm not going to announce yet. Plus, we're giving away over $20,000 in free prizes. One of those prizes is going to be a one-year membership to our signature course, the Keto Camp Academy. If you want to qualify to win one year of health coaching for me and the Keto Camp team. All you got to do is sign up. It's free. Head over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Okay, let's talk with Dr. Matt. Dr. Matt Halpert has a doctorate in immunology with specific focus on inflammation and microbiology and the way the immune system operates and should operate. He has spent 10 years in the Texas Medical Center, predominantly at Baylor College of Medicine as an academic researcher focused on cancer and cancer immunotherapy. With regard to how the immune system functions, its physiology, how it goes about identifying a threat, whether that threat is a virus or cancer, and how that immune system can then be essentially reprogrammed. This is so incredible. Reprogrammed and correctly directed toward fighting that threat. You're going to hear all about that. Here's Dr. Matt Halpert. Dr. Matt Halpert, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. Ah, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. So we connected in Utah, Dr. Pompa's event. Uh, you actually we shared the stage together. You were on right after me, and I got you, I got to see you speak. Dr. Rafael Gonzalez connected us, and he's been on the podcast before. Actually, we recorded it right here at my uh, Keto Camp HQ. So you're working with him. And I was blown away by your presentation and uh, I just love your passion and desire for helping people overcome what many people think is a life uh, or a death sentence, I should say, being diagnosed with cancer. Or what what can we do to be proactive? We'll talk about all that. But I was just blown away by your work, and we connected, and now we're doing a podcast. So thank you for being here. And I would love to start with you know the backstory. What were the moving pieces that got you towards studying studying cancer, studying the immune system, and doing the work that you're doing today, Doc?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for that. And yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, in Utah, when you presented before me, you you didn't know this, but you had set me up perfectly for, for my <laughs> talk. So I yeah. uh, appreciate that. So yeah, it's awesome to be on this podcast with you and get a chance to uh, to share more of this story with you. Uh, my background is I have a doctorate in immunology um, with a specific focus on inflammation and microbiology and the way the immune system Uh, operates and should operate. I then spent about 10 years in the Texas Medical Center, predominantly at Baylor College of Medicine, as an academic researcher focused on cancer and cancer immunotherapy. More specifically, the research group I was with had made uh, what we now know is an extremely important discovery regarding how the immune system works, the physiology of it, how you know from the top to the bottom how it goes about identifying a threat whether that threat is a virus or in the case of what we'll talk about today cancer and then how that immune system can essentially be reprogrammed or correctly skewed towards fighting that threat so after years of doing that research with my own hands and in collaboration with my team and other labs around the country. You know, we were doing all the normal science things, publishing papers, getting grants, moving, moving things down the track. And we did reach a point and we ha- were in a point where we have multiple FDA approved clinical trials right now that we've managed to push this science into to treat very difficult cancers, including GBM, which is a, a very aggressive and lethal form of brain cancer, um, a very aggressive form of pancreatic cancer. Uh, FDA just approved another trial for angiosarcoma, which will be uh, spawn, uh, hosted at MD Anderson, triple negative breast cancer is on tap. Uh, and because, uh, so, so we're going for all these cancers, we're going down the regulatory pathways. We do want this to be widely available in the United States and uh, reimbursable by insurance and, and things like that. But after years of kind of being involved with the research and seeing the regulatory hurdles, and recognizing the time this would take to actually reach the clinic where it would help people, I decided to try and within legal parameters set up a a almost compassionate use opportunity where cancer patients who could benefit from this treatment today have a way to get this today rather than having to try and, and wait 10 years or whatever it'll take for the FDA to approve it. So that kind of brings us to the formation of immunosine, which I know we'll talk about, and the opportunity for patients to uh, essentially in a, again, I like to use the word physiological, but you can use, you know, uh, biologically natural or even holistic in a way to get your immune system properly reprogrammed to identify and fight the cancer. We have a way to to offer that today. Uh, And so that's sort of the background of what brought me to as you mentioned that conference in Utah, where I'm, you know, we're trying to spread the word and get the word out to doctors and and various unmet populations that could benefit from this.
0: And, and it's a game changer, Matt. I mean, because if we look at the traditional way to treat cancer, it's just not working. They declared war against cancer, and that war is has been lost every single year. Um, and we think about you know chemotherapy and some of the survival rates for that and traditional treatment. So what you're doing is groundbreaking. And you said the immune system several times because you've mentioned before that the immune system is king here. So what is it with the and what you're doing that helps to optimize the immune system so it could clear a cancer more effectively? What, what's going on there? How are you doing that?
1: Right. Obviously a great question. Um, and so, you know, we mentioned the war on cancer and, and the various treatments, and we can talk obviously a little bit about a lot of current standard of cares, like, you know, chemotherapy and, and radiation, obviously, are Uh, well-known, well-documented, everyone has heard of them. Uh, I I feel like it's not a huge secret that, though they do work sometimes, they possess the ability for a lot of collateral damage, they don't always work, uh, often leads to relapse. And I like to use the analogy there that if cancer is like knowing that there are bad guys in a building, chemotherapy would be like dropping a bomb on the building and hoping to get all of the bad guys. Now you might, but you will have collateral damage. And if you do not get every bad guy, it's you know whether you can see it on a scan yet or not, it's not gone. And uh, relapse is definitely potentially in the future. Using the immune system and immunotherapy is a little more like using the Navy SEALs to go into the building and very specifically identify and eliminate those threats rather than just this kind of widespread destruction.
0: That sounds a lot better than me. I love, I love the second option much better. Oh,
1: and, and, and not to belabor the point, but this is where we are heading.
0: And I mean, nothing in
1: science or medicine moves fast. But from the first uh, successful completion of the immunotherapy trials in uh, 2011 and, and the approval of, of some of those drugs in the space of immunotherapy, within 10 years immunotherapy has done in several cancers what chemotherapy has been unable to do in over 100 years. And I'm always happy to talk more about that. But it's just it is very evident, I think, to most doctors and scientists in the space that the actual if we're going to get to cures, it's going to be in the space of immunotherapy and rearming the immune system. That's where this is going to go. So where does a fit in and, and what is it that we're doing and, and how is it unique? And I mean, these are kind of obvious questions, but, but whether we want to hear this or not, then you and I, as healthy as we are, and, and I think we're both pretty healthy, are kind of continually developing our own cancers. Cancer is really, you know, it's one cell becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. It keeps going and eventually this mass of cells is what we call a tumor. Now, the underlying mutation... The underlying reason for that and why that was not fixed, that's a whole nother podcast, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons for that.
0: It's not never one thing, it's a, it's a multitude of things.
1: Right. And as we get older, more mistakes happen and, and this just occurs more. The thing is, we have mechanisms in place to protect us. Our immune system, our defense system protects us from viruses, bacteria, germs. All the time, including cancers. We have cells and abilities that actually can identify cancer cells and eliminate them. So one cell becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, and so on. And the immune system wises up to that, goes over to those cells and says, hey, you know, you don't belong here. Go away. And the threat is eliminated. Uh, and we don't even know it. Uh, it's just okay. In the case of, you know, cancer that is now being viewed on, you know, a pet screen or something else, you know, cancer markers are elevated. For some reason, reasons we do not entirely understand, the immune system has just completely missed it. It is oblivious. It does not see this as a threat. uh, And this is termed immune ignorance. You already have a defense system within you that is capable of overcoming this issue. But it's sitting on the sidelines twiddling its thumbs. It just doesn't know. And a lot of immunotherapy approaches today, given that in some sense, we're still in the infancy of immunotherapy. um, And I say that with the view of centuries, you know, sort of thing. There, we're coming up with, some people are coming up with some interesting ways to hijack the immune system. So you've got this immune system from start to finish. And obviously it'd be ideal to start at the start where the immune system is normally beginning and then get here. But since not everyone can figure that out, people have found ways to kind of interject and maybe we can boost this or do this or do this. And sometimes that actually works. I mentioned before the FDA, the the approved uh, immunotherapy uh, product after the trial finished in 2011, that was a checkpoint inhibitor drug which is the, the first drug. It was essentially, I you know, discovered the whole process by Dr. Jim Allison, who's now the director at MD Anderson. He recently won a Nobel Prize for this work, and is in some ways considered a let's call it a father of immunotherapy. And what he was able to demonstrate is that simply by removing or blocking one breakpoint on the immune system, just one, instead of 100% of those cancer patients in that trial dying, only 95% died. And you might say, so 5%, big deal. Like, that's not very awesome. But the other way to look at at that, of course, is, well, wait a second. What happened with this 5% of people that are now completely cured?
0: That's like five lives out of 100 lives, right? So that's, Five lives.
1: It's it's not insignificant. And it tells us right then and there, the immune system can do it. I mean, in, in this per- small population of people, what was different? And and why did they respond so much better? And how can we use that? And more study tells us very obviously, I think, what was different about those those five lives out of 100. And that is that they actually already had an immune response trying to fight the cancer, it just wasn't strong enough. And in that case, if you boost it, yeah, that might be all you need for your immune system to get the upper edge, you know, and just take it out. So the issue, of course, is for those other 95%. All right, we got to get your immune system off the sideline. It needs to overcome that ignorance. It needs to start fighting. You know, we can worry about boosting it later. Let's get it started. That is exactly what Immunocene uh, is doing. That is the exact discovery we made. And so I, you know, you know, I, I get very wordy about this because I'm a scientist and I just kind of can ramble about science. But from being discovered in the 1970s, we know, we know for a fact that dendritic cells are a type of immune cell that run the whole system. They are the generals of the immune system army. You know, you can just, you can Google that. It's, it's not hard. In any immune hierarchy or pyramid image, they're at the top. Honestly, their job was to identify this threat and then orchestrate the response. I mean, they're honestly the ones that fell asleep at the wheel. And so knowing that, you fast forward to the 1990s, and there's just a ton of interest in, okay, if we can figure out how to re-educate or rearm the dendritic cells we might be able to get people's immune responses to overcome the cancer. A lot of money went into it and no one could get the dendritic cells to go. There were just, there still were missing pieces. We didn't fully understand the science. And so eventually after many failures, that's where everyone had to move on and find other ways to try and hijack the immune system. The discovery we made was specific to dendritic cells, how dendritic cells function, what those missing pieces were, And when we identified that, it became very, very obvious how we could then use dendritic cells to reprogram a person's immune response to target cancer. And so that's what all our publications are on, on how we have identified that mechanism within dendritic cells and how we are using it. That is what our FDA clinical trials are on. That is what all of our patents are around. And that is what we are doing in um, Cancun, Mexico, with our compassionate use team with immunocene immunotherapy is reprogramming. That is from the top down, reprogramming patients' immune responses, immune systems from the dendritic cells all the way down through the killer cells to wake up and go actually fight the cancer, actually do their job. That's what we're trying to offer to people who want to add that, you know, tool in their tool belt or, or that weapon to their fight against cancer.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating. I want to unpack a little bit about what you just shared, and then talk about specifically how the treatment works. Let's say somebody listening or watching wants to get the treatment. I would love for you to explain how it works. But let me just recap what you said in case you know this got lost in the conversation. We all have cancer cells, but our immune system, specifically the dendritic cells, which you call the general, will identify those threats. So if one cell turns into two, two to four, four to eight, like you said, boom, they, it's identified as a threat, that it's growing and then it takes care of it. But what has been happening is the immune system is now developing ignorance and it's uh, getting lazy for whatever reason. You said you're not sure what the reason why. It's, it's hard to identify why it's gotten lazy, but now cancer starts to get out of control and they for many, many years wanted to determine what can we do to activate the dendritic cells and there was a complete failure, but with your breakthrough research, you've actually found the way, which is super powerful. And I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that, but you said you're not sure why the immune system becomes ignorant. Can you, do you have a guess? Do you, is there like something you're leaning towards? Like what are, the, what are the top causes to why it's become ignorant?
1: Okay, so sure, I can give a couple of hypotheses or, or theories. Uh, and of course, dendritic cells do, of course, run the immune system. Uh, I don't want to discount, of course, other immune cells for anyone watching who might ask, what about natural killer cells or killer T cells? They, they all, of course, become involved. It becomes a global process. But so look, here's an example. I mean, obviously, as we age, we just tend to break down more. We tend to be not as healthy. We don't recover as quickly as when we were you know, teenagers. And while that is an obvious outward reality, it is also an inward reality. Uh, Mutations are not repaired as quickly. Uh, And of course, the secret to aging and overcoming aging is a very hot area. You know, I don't know if you've had any, any guess on that, but that's a really interesting area to us as well. But for example, the immune system does not have a pump. If you lay in bed, your immune system actually becomes very stagnant. It does not move. For your immune system to circulate and survey your body successfully and, and fully, you need to move. You need to have adequate movement each day. You need to exercise. When we are kids, when we are younger, we are almost constantly running around. It is hard to sit still. As we get older, uh, you know, we, we do a lot more sitting. We get lazier. We do not make that effort sometimes to exercise every day. and. So as strong as the immune system may be, it is now not surveying your body as swiftly as it should be. And this is, you know, in a sense, this is something we could easily overcome by adding more movement to to our day. Additionally, we are chronically inflamed. Uh, Another kind of hot topic, right? I mean, our Western diet is has been well-documented. I could go into studies where it has been very well shown that that causes just a continual state of inflammation. But you know what? Sitting sitting at a desk causes inflammation. We are dealing with a lot of inflammation, and, and basically in that sense, in the sense of a targeted immune response against a bacteria you, or a cancer, you want inflammation. That's an immune response. That's good. In the sense of just ongoing... Uh, you know, non-specific inflammation, uh, you know, your your immune system is literally wasting its resources erroneously. So instead of conserving all of that power to find actual threats, it, you know, your back has is inflamed and is, is painful because, you know, you ate five burgers for lunch and you sat, you know, watching Netflix for six hours and, you know, that can be fun for a day. But if you do that repeatedly... Well, now you're you're all this inflammation in your back. That is evidence. If there's not an actual like physical reason for that, it is kind of evidence of we are driving our immune system to be dysregulated, not conserving its energy or its resources. And sure, that is going to weaken it. I'll give uh, you know maybe a couple more reasons because now you got me started on it. But I did kind of almost a, seemingly a silly one, but sunlight. I mean, our bodies, it's again, not not really a secret. If you dive into the scientific publication, we do need sunlight. Our bodies do, you know, we don't need eight hours of sunlight a day, but we do need sunlight and we don't all work, you know, we don't all work on farms anymore. And so we work in offices, we're sitting, we're eating fast food. I mean, I just named three things that will cause all kinds of problems. And yeah, I know that you're obviously pretty big into the diet and that's obviously a major one too. How are we fueling our bodies? Again, when you're young and you're moving around, your metabolism is high. Your body can really process a lot of junk and it won't just rest and sit in your body and and cause problems. It doesn't mean you should eat junk, but it's just your body's more able to handle it. And again, as we get older and things just start working a little slower... You do have to be careful what you are eating and how you are fueling. Your body will use the path of least resistance in terms of energy consumption and how it operates. And in some cases, you know, if you're running a race against 10 other people, you, you want to follow the path of least resistance. You're trying to win a race. But most of the time, you know, if you're trying to um, get stronger, you know, in, in, in the gym, path of least resistance is not your friend. Add more weight. You know, and in a sense, it's sort of the same here. You eat simple carbs and, and sugars and things that your body can very easily break down and use. It will. But that is not necessarily the best stuff to empower your your underlying functions, your immune response and things like that. Um, and so, you uh, you know, I do feel that people do not watch their diets anywhere near as close enough as they, as they should. Um, and so those are just a few Again, maybe nothing earth shattering there, you know, exercise, get some sunlight, eat right, you know, get some sleep, try to reduce the, you know, get some good sleep, reduce the chronic inflammation. And, and I don't know if people hear that and say, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it matters. I mean, it really just does. It's, simp- it's simple in a sense, but it matters. And we don't take it seriously enough. And I think we we set ourselves up where you start reaching middle age, especially in later age, where cancer shows up more. And I don't know. I mean, if you've been chronically inflamed for years, you don't exercise, you don't eat right, is it necessarily a surprise that your immune system got lazy and missed these over-replicating cells over here in the corner?
0: You know, maybe not. For sure. Yeah. So I, that was a very important breakdown. So I hope y'all listening and watching Tick Notes, right? When we talk about the importance of the immune system to prevent cancer, to reverse cancer in some cases, what can we do to support it? And Matt just explained how you do it, move your body. I mean, we always talk about the benefits of movement, getting 10,000 steps a day, and there's a lot of benefits to it, but in regards to the immune system, If you move your body, you're going to move the immune system. It's going to work better. So find a way to keep moving, walk after meals, stand up desk. Like I'm sitting now, but this is a stand up desk that I alternate up and down, up and down, but I'm tracking my steps and I'm getting about 10K a day. And then of course, chronic inflammation. You talked about acute inflammation being very important, but that chronic low-grade inflammation, putting that immune system to sleep, not good. And there's a lot of things that could contribute to that, processed food, junk food, uh, artificial light. I love that you talked about sun. When you first said the sun, I'm like, okay, I'm not sure where Matt's going with this because a lot of cancer people say to avoid the sun. And I'm glad you said to get some sun, not get burned, but get the sun because I agree that that's very, very important. And then I would add one more thing to the to the list there in terms of what I believe wrecks the immune system. Living in a fearful, mentally stressful state will lower your mm. immune system. Um, would you agree to that, Matt? Oh absolutely.
1: Yeah, those cortisol levels, when you're in a constant state of anxiety uh, and stress, it, again, this is not my opinion. This has been scientific, you know documented in, in strong papers, your immune system is definitively weakened. Yeah, so that's actually a good one. I, I, sometimes we have to help patients. I mean, I know it's not easy, but you do have to try and find a way to calm down because that constant state, of stress, anxiety, being fearful, being on edge, your body has to deal with that. I mean, you might not think about it that way. You might think, oh, it's just in my brain, you know, just in my head and it's just emotional. It's actually not. I mean, your body is secreting certain neurotransmitters and hormones and, and it actually has to deal with that. And yeah, the immune system absolutely gets wrapped up in that, it gets weakened, it doesn't have the resources it needs. Believe me, I'm not one to talk. I know it's easier said than done, but it is. That I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it it does belong on the list, just equivalent to all the other things.
0: Yeah, the the best thing to do if you feel like you're chronically stressed, at least mentally emotionally, is get your your vitamin G right. Gratitude, like practice gratitude. It's almost impossible to feel pissed off and angry and in a fearful state and be grateful. It's like they're completely opposite. The reason I brought up the stress part and the immune system is because I remember when I interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton on my show a couple years ago, he gave the perfect analogy of what mental stress does, cortisol, you mentioned cortisol, what cortisol does to weaken the immune system. He gave the example of um, a patient who is about to get a kidney transplant, right? This patient needs a new kidney. So this patient is in the operating room and the surgeon that's about to perform that surgery in uh, will inject the patient with stress hormones, including cortisol. Why? Because it completely distracts the immune system, wipes it out, so then it could accept that foreign object, which is the new kidney. And that's the example that he gave what stress is doing to our immune system. It's completely distracting it. Would you agree that's exactly what's happening? Mm-hmm.
1: No, a- absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's a little bit like the, the inflammation. Implement- You've got nonspecific activity going on now. I mean... You know, there's been a rise in cancer. There's also kind of been a rise in stress. I mean, maybe that's even closer, you know, more linked than than we might give credit to. I mean, it's a
0: yeah, it's a very important piece. So I'm glad we discussed it. Let's just everyone needs
1: to calm down, uh, <laughs> go for a walk yeah. outside, um, and you know, eat turn your, off the news. Turn Don't off watch the, news. the news, please. Eat your fruits and vegetables. <laughs> get a good night's sleep, and you'll be fine.
0: Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? Head to the podcast notes down below. Click the link. Enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. So, so let's let's talk about immunocene right? Let's say somebody listening, they want to learn more. Potentially, they they might know somebody with cancer, or maybe they have cancer. Like, what is the process? How long typically does it take, and what, how does it work? Uh,
1: so there are cancer treatment centers, and uh, you know other things you can find on the internet, and I would. Uh, well, I'm not going to sit here on this or any podcast and call anyone out. I just, I would caution any of your viewers to just make sure they do their due diligence, do their research.
0: What should they look out for? What, 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 should, what are some red flags?
1: Well, um, I like to, I, actually, I did write a, a blog about this. And so I could maybe share that with you after. But a few red flags are if a group trying to recruit a patient will not be very forthcoming about what their science is. If they have no evidence of attempted or, or you know, clinical trials at all, do they have any legit scientific publications? I mean, these are not necessarily high bars for actual scientific endeavors, but some of these groups out there, they're kind of squirrely. And some of these are extremely misleading. I saw one that wrote a whole blog on some long lost cure for cancer and they had 42 references at the end, and it made it look like it was well-referenced. If you look at those references, not a single one of them had to do with what they were talking about, which is just, is just a very misleading way to, to make it look one way but actually not be that. Compare that to Immunocene. When we send people a dozen or two dozen publications, I'm personally an author on over half of them. My colleagues are authors on rest of them i mean i could grab thousands of publications about dendritic cells and their role in cancer this is our own science we have our own publications in very good journals you know science translational medicine blood FASEB, um from 2006 till current we have our own clinical trials we're not hiding we're not hiding from mainstream medicine it just takes time You've got some other groups that have been around for decades and they still haven't run a single trial. And a lot of the excuses they give are that people might accept them at face value and they shouldn't. There's no excuse. The FDA has, there are over 3,000 trials right now for diet and cancer. I mean, if you have a magical diet, it's not impossible to run a clinical trial and, and demonstrate, you know, publishable success. So, you know, those are issues uh, again, not the reason I'm, I'm on this podcast, but in talking to patients, they don't often know, you bring up a good point, what should due diligence look like? And so I'd almost want to refer them to to a blog I wrote in which I do outline a few key things. Yeah, we might, we might add that because uh, we were getting that question a lot, like, what do I look for? And, um, and so I say all that to say Immunocine was actually not started as a cancer clinic where we are now grabbing different treatments. That is not why we formed immunocene. We had the science, and we had to figure out a proper, high-integrity, ethical way to offer this to people. And so we created immunocene on the back of the science. Um, And so we found the right, you know, team of doctors, which includes specialists, like oncologists, radiologists, hematologists, like that, we have the right scientists, we have um, what would be considered an FDA-compliant clean room lab, where everyone's personalized immunotherapy is made. Um, And that's all in Cancun. Everything happens in Cancun. Uh, We do have approved protocols, all our certifications and and things like that. So, Immunosine starts, You asked a little bit about, I think, kind of the logistics of what might a person, okay, I want to go to Immunocene. And so I I have to start off by saying Immunocene is not a walk-in clinic. That is another red flag, FYI. I personally do not understand how some of these other centers simply say, come on down and we'll treat you without knowing anything about the patient, their cancer, what have they tried? How do they know they're going to be able to offer something safe and effective without these details? so we do a full medical review on all patients and this includes recent oncological summaries recent scans recent blood work we will happily talk to their doctors if their doctors are open to speaking with us Um, so we go through all that it is complimentary we do not charge the patient anything for this but we want to we want to offer this to patients that we think will be safe and we think in good faith will be effective. We're not here just to take people that don't that shouldn't do this either because they don't have the time or they don't have the right set of circumstances.
0: And you could do all this before they make the trip to Cancun. Correct. Correct. This is all our patient
1: coordinators will reach out to the patient who's expressed interest. We will get a medical questionnaire filled out, we'll get a little information, we'll move to a HIPAA compliant online portal where the patient will upload or send to us their records. Um, again, we can assist and help get those records if the patient, you know, is, is unable. And then our doctors and will look through everything. This will take, a you know, a week, week and a half for everyone to sign off and make sure, yes, this patient does look like they could be helped by this. Uh, once approved, we proceed with informed consents. You know, we got to make sure everyone knows. We're, we're never gonna tell someone, yes, we guarantee you a cure. What we can do is reprogram your immune response to get going and get fighting. Can cure happen? Yes, we've seen it. We have seen patients go from hospice to remission. We've seen a lot of actually really cool things, but this is not a guarantee. You've got cancer growing and replicating and your immune system is doing nothing. When we get to it, we do get it started. Now the question is, can it overcome it? Can it balance it out? Or is it is it just not gonna get there? We have no way of knowing that, no, no one can know that. The good news is once your immune system is going, there are other things you can do to bump this up. And some of that includes mainstream medicine like the addition of checkpoint inhibitors, but then you have other immune boosting opportunities just at home that you can do to further strengthen your, your immune response. So, yeah, I'm going to continue, but do you you have a question, Ben?
0: I do, yeah. You know, I'm thinking, would, would immunocene be, would it be a good idea to explore doing some work with immunocene as a preventative approach to get the immune system operating, or is it solely for somebody who has cancer?
1: Today, it is solely for someone who has cancer. And I'll explain the process. Now, there is an avenue in the future where this becomes prophylactic, but we're not there yet. By we, I mean science, mankind. If I had carte blanche, right, and I could do whatever I want, I could actually probably develop a pathway to get there. But I don't have carte blanche. So within the confines of current reality, patient is approved. We make sure they fully understand what we're going to do, what to expect. Uh, It is only at that time if they are. Approved, we say, you know, do you, do you want to come down to Cancun? Do you want to do this? Um, if so, then we are going to move towards payment at that point. Which, for the record, is fully refundable if we do not treat a patient. So if we if something changes where we now no longer feel it's safe, or the patient simply has changed their mind and says, I don't want to do it, uh, we're not keeping people's money unless we start actual activity in Cancun. Patient will come to Cancun. This will be set up by our again our coordinators because we have the schedule. So it's a fairly meticulous schedule, but they should be coming to Cancun within about a month of that approval. Cancer changes. Cancer is not going to sit still. And so if you are thinking, I want to do this, but not for six months, not for a year, that's fine. But you might as well wait on that review because we would just have to do it again. You're a different person at that point. So you come down, we'll say it's three or four weeks later, Uh, The first week is the the heavy lifting week for the patient, um, which they're going to meet with our doctors, do the consultations, blood draws. We make sure everything looks good to go. Uh, We're going to do a biopsy in Cancun. This is where we get the target that we are going to reprogram a patient's immune response against, which is why as of today, you have to have cancer. Because if you do not have a solid cancer that we can grab a biopsy of, we have nothing to, as the target. We have nothing to create an immune response against. So come to Cancun. We do the biopsy. This is usually outpatient. In the event it needs uh, overnight care just to ensure safety, we'll make sure the patient stays in, in um, one of the hospital suites to, so we can keep an eye on them. The biopsy goes to the lab. The patient then goes through a process for a few days of getting their white blood cell count up, and then we do what is called apheresis, which is a large blood draw, in which we collect a lot of those white blood cells. Uh, that all goes to the lab as well, and the, and week one is done. Week two, there is nothing for the patient to do. As of today, maybe in the future we come up with something to put there, but right now the patient is free to either, you know, hang out on the beach, beautiful beaches in Cancun, a lot of fun. We're we're very near the touristy hotel zone area of Cancun. So a lot of really good restaurants, good you know entertainment, good hotels. So a lot for people to do if they just wanna hang out at Cancun, but they're free to go home, of course. This is where we're doing all of the empowerment in the lab. So our scientists are now at work in the lab. They are taking that tumor sample. They are breaking it down to its blueprints. We're talking it's you know, very specific RNA components, uh, a complete protein library, this is a highly, you know, the scientist, everyone's highly trained, you know, not something I could go through easily on a podcast. It, it's, it's pretty laborious, but it's all of it's critical. Um, and this is part of what makes our process so unique are, are some of these steps. That those blood cells we took are actually being converted all week into the right kind of dendritic cells. This is important. You cannot get enough dendritic cells from a blood draw alone because they circulate through the lymphatic system and tend to sit in tissue. They don't just float around in your blood. So we have to actually almost differentiate them in the lab. And if you're not careful, and if they are not differentiated correctly, you can make the wrong kind of dendritic cell that actually would be counterintuitive and immunosuppressive. So obviously we don't do that, but... I can't speak for every other group out there attempting to use dendritic cells.
0: Once you create the right dendritic cells, and then how is that administered to the patient? Right. So
1: those dendritic cells then are, are reprogrammed or reloaded with the blueprints of the cancer. And the way we do it, I can't, you know, but the way we do it is, I mean, this is our patent. This is patented. It, it might look simple. No one else does this. One, if they, if they are doing it, it would technically be patent infringement. But two, this is new science. This is again, our discovery. You, you load the dendritic cells this way and they suddenly wake up. I mean, you can almost see it. They change their genetic signature. They become these immune powerhouses. It's just kind of like the light went on and they say, oh, we need to be targeting that. Other groups using, using dendritic cells do not do this. And so their dendritic cells don't work. And so what they have to do is come up with some artificial way to try and stimulate some activity and whether that's toxins or bacteria or some component of a virus, you know, whether it's something artificial that might in fact stimulate activity. Now it's not necessarily going to be the right kind, but because of what we are doing, because the way we do it is so, this is just biology. This is just how the loading occurs in nature when your body actually does recognize a threat. We don't have to do any of that. All we're doing is taking your own dendritic cells, your own cancer, loading it the right way. Okay, you're ready to go. Now you asked about how we give those dendritic cells back to the patient. This is another unbelievably simple but unique way process to us. And again, covered by, I can't believe this is covered by by patents The way dendritic cells have been used in the past and still today, one, sometimes some groups use them IV. Hey, look, IV is is easy. You hang a banana bag and it goes in. It's been well documented that now the dendritic cells will all get stuck in the lungs where they're basically useless. But hey, it was easy to give them back to the
0: patient. Oh, wow. So IV is not going to work.
1: No. You've got other groups that do intradermal. Hey, a shot. And yes, it's been well documented that this does work pretty effectively if you have skin cancer only. Uh, If you don't, the dendritic cells are focused on the skin. This also is not going to work for a majority of patients. We don't do either of those ways. That's ridiculous. What we do is, again, follow biology. Where should this immune response be happening? It should be happening in tumor proximal functional lymph nodes. So the lymph nodes that are still functional and near the cancer are the ones that should initially be activated to see this immune response. And so our interventional radiologist will go with um, you know, either ultrasound or CT, but it will be image-guided injections near sweet spots of lymph nodes around the cancer. I mean, this is critical. But it is, we're as best as we can tell, we are the only ones doing that. And so we believe this, this helps get a stronger, more accurate immune response. I'm gonna point out at this time that the injections are actually separated by two weeks. So kind of around day 14, if you were following the the, the, the trend, right? Week one, we get all the material. Week two, we build the immunotherapy product for the person. Day 14 is the first injection two weeks later is the second injection, and two weeks later is the third. And I'll talk about those two-week intervals, but people have asked, well, why separate by two weeks? Again, we're following biology. Immune kinetics has long demonstrated to the point that uh, you know my six-year-old can Google this and figure this out. When you see an initial stimulus like you're seeing with these dendritic cells, your immune system will ramp up for about 10 to 12 days before it starts to wane you then give a boost right there on day 14, it now escalates that immune response to its maximal plateau, which is great. And this is where a lot of our patients might feel the most symptoms. And the, the two week later after that is going to help instill what we call memory, immune memory, which will help this response go much, much longer, long after you've left King Koon. So again, a patient has, you know, or, or someone might say to me, I know another group using dendritic cells, and they give all three of their injections in the first week, one week.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make sense based off of what you shared. That doesn't make sense. It, 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 you're just, you
1: just wasted injections two and three. It's quicker, but it doesn't work. And what do you want? If you are putting your life on the line, if you really want to fight, we can go a, a cheaper, inferior, quicker route. I mean, we can make you a disgusting pizza if you want, but we've we've chosen to just basically we cut no corners. It takes the time it takes. It takes the manufacturing it takes. But what we give you is a legitimately unique, strong immune response that actually does ramp up and start fighting the cancer.
0: I have a lot of so I have a lot of follow up questions on that. So let's let's call this one round right where you said that's what. Uh, four weeks total? is that the, um, how, how many weeks total is this? The total? Yeah. Uh, six weeks. Six weeks total. Got it. So they would be in Cancun for those six weeks. Some people could fly back and forth. Yes. Uh, I was about you know, to okay. say,
1: the two-week intervals in between, your body, your immune system is ramping up inside you. Now, that can happen on the beaches in Cancun. It can also happen at home. It can happen if you're back at work. You do not have to stay in Cancun during those intervals. And so now if you do, we will keep an eye on you, of course, make sure everything goes well. But uh, this is all outpatient. And most, most patients have manageable symptoms, which, which we can discuss. But y- you are free absolutely to go home for two weeks. And we just tell you when to be back in Cancun. We check on you each time, make sure things look right, and then we give you your injection. So, yeah.
0: Got it. So six six weeks total, let's call that one round. Is that, that's it? One round and you're done? Six weeks and you're done? Or if it's sometimes really aggressive, they have to do this several times? Uh, No, as of
1: today, it's one round.
0: That's it, six weeks. And then how soon will you start noticing some improvement if there is going to be improvement?
1: So uh, yeah, you put me on the spot there and I have to be careful with how I answer this, right? Because truly every patient is different. And we have seen, we're just, it's a basket catch of cancers. Some have a little cancer, some have a lot, some have, you know, and then it's prostate, triple negative breast, neuroendocrine. So let me give you some extremes, I guess. We get your immune response going over this six week interval of your life and it keeps going. And people have asked, well, how long might this take? And we have seen patients take as long as maybe a year and a half where it just continually gets better, but it takes time you know, the cancer did not form overnight and it's not gonna be gone
0: overnight. 10, 20 years, now how long on average does it take for that tumor to form? Excellent
1: question. So obviously it depends when, when it was caught, right? I mean, so that's, that's actually a tough one to answer because it really does depend on how early did you catch it. But obviously some people have had these cancers developing for, yeah, it, it could have been it could have been more than a decade. If it's really slow moving, you may not notice any symptoms. We have had patients that have seen results in Cancun within the six weeks. Um, that is not everyone's experience, but we had, we've had a number of patients who have seen demonstrable evidence of success before they've left, before they've even finished the treatment. So let me explain a little bit. Let me let me let me caveat it just a smidge. It also depends on what basket we want to look at. So. What we say right now is that we are seeing more than a 90% response rate. And to give some context, checkpoint inhibitors, which I referred to earlier, are currently the golden medicine in cancer immunotherapy. They are everywhere. They are in a ton of clinical trials. They are non nonspecific. Uh, it's just boosting the immune response, but they're everywhere and people and doctors love them. If you look at all the FDA trials and all the approvals, the average response rate, objective response rate, is about 20%. Some lower than 10 some in the 30s. That means four out of five patients are basically not even seeing a response. And that is our gold standard right now. Cancer is
0: hard. And you're getting 90%, nine out of 10. Correct. So
1: because our approach is far more specific to the patient, Right. I, again, I don't want to mislead. And whenever it, someone watches this five years from now, the number might be different. But as of today, pretty much everyone we have treated sees reasonable evidence of, of a response, of an immune response. And so you, you've mentioned this, too. Symptoms aren't – people sometimes view symptoms as, as bad. People ask, obviously, what are the side effects? And I have to say they're not really side effects. They're just effects. Your body is sick. The fact that you have cancer, and you have no symptoms, is not good. You have cancer, you should be sick. And so when we do this reprogramming, all of a sudden your body, you'll see swollen lymph nodes, you'll have muscle aches, tenderness, you might have some light nausea, you might have low-grade fever, fatigue is a pretty big one. Now, your hair's not gonna fall out, it's an immune response. But your symptoms will range from mild, hey, i a little under the weather, I've got a cold, too severe, which, you know, could be nausea and vomiting. That's actually not the norm, but it's certainly within the, the realm of an immune response. These are short-lived. I mean, they usually are heaviest or strongest right after the injections. But that is, you know, it's hard to look at it this way when you're feeling so bad, but those are phenomenal signs. Because remember, what did we do? we took out your own immune cells your own cancer did this in the lab put them back in and all of a sudden you've got this rampant immune response going what does that tell us tells us it's on tells us it's going because if it's not finding its antigen if it's not finding a target nothing's going to happen the fact that this is being found is phenomenal news that your immune system is now actually functioning and working and so we like to see those symptoms
0: so they're the it's it, so you're essentially like turning on the the car's check engine light. Now you could actually see things are wrong before it was uh, broken and you had no idea, but now you're actually seeing that check engine light and that's actually a good thing, not a bad thing.
1: I have never used that analogy, but that's a great analogy. I'm going to use that. Just because your check engine light isn't on because it's broken, doesn't mean something's not wrong with the engine. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really uh, a good one. And so, you know, we get that going in six weeks and... You know, I would say patients with more cancer, like literally just more tumor burden, do experience harder symptoms, which makes sense. You need more of an immune response now. And we've had some patients with uh, relatively small but deadly tumors. And, you know, sometimes they're actually a little disappointed. They don't really feel very much. And they're, you know, is it working? And we can say, well... Your tumor markers, which were accelerating before you got here, suddenly plummeted. Cancer doesn't normally just do that, and so this is a, a positive sign that probably we are targeting the cancer and, and destroying it.
0: So, so that's how you're measuring progress. You're look, well. One of the ways you're measuring their tumor markers. What else are you doing? Yeah, no,
1: that's a that's a good question too. So we we look at quite a bit actually, and we are expanding. I'll tell you now to look at even more. We are scientists, and so we collect as much data as we can and. As an aside, all that data is available to the patients. We do not hide data or keep data, good or bad. It is the patients and their doctors to, to use after they leave Cancun. At a minimum right now, we do before and after scans. So we will do scans to actually look at the tumors and see if we're seeing any evidence of regression. Or in about 65% of patients, we see progression. So we'll come back to what that is because it's really important to know what that is we will do before biopsies, of course, and we will look at them. If not too invasive, we will do later biopsies, not just like after, but hey, it's been six weeks since we started. Let's do another biopsy and see if we can see immune infiltrate. And so sometimes we can literally see, look there, the immune cells attacking it. We don't do this if it's a laborious or dangerous or, or, you know, not an easy biopsy. We don't want to put the patient through stuff just for more data for us. But so that, that's a possibility. We do routine blood work. You know, every patient will get at least four different blood workups, if not more over the course. And we will look at almost, you name it, we, we look at it. We do look at a lot. Of course, we want to make sure our patients are being taken care of, are healthy. Do we see any other indicators where we need to maybe supplement with a medication? I mean, these are cancer patients and they could have other issues not related to our treatment, but just related to their cancer. And so it's on us to, to obviously monitor and help take care of them. And so we will look at things like lymphocyte sequestration. Very often, especially in patients with a lot of cancer, we will see lymphocytes leave circulation. So it'll go down, but where did it go? We didn't give them dendritic cells in, which make lymphocytes T cells proliferate and then they all vanish, they didn't vanish. They're where they're supposed to be. They're all actually in the tumors right now, and so we're actually seeing less circulating in blood randomly. We'll sometimes see uric acid go up, which goes up when you have a lot of tumor tissue death because they're dying. They're releasing these components. Can't obviously, yes, we will look. We'll look at inflammatory markers like alkaline phosphatase or LDH or um, C-reactive protein sedimentation, right? Things that we know are evidences of is there an inflammatory immune response happening and of course we will look at cancer markers for each patient and it will just be obviously that is based on the cancer they have if you have breast cancer we're not going to look at psa if you have prostate cancer we would and so we'll look at those and and so that does bring me to uh, another point pseudoprogression has become a big issue in the past five years and a lot of publications are warning doctors uh, patients aren't going to read these publications, but doctors, to be very aware, since immunotherapy has come to the, the playground, pseudoprogression has become a bigger issue than before. And so what is pseudoprogression? Pseudoprogression is, by all evidences, outwardly it looks like the cancer is progressing. But it's not. It's actually fake progression that is, is being caused by the immunotherapy. And so to give an example, because we do see this actually pretty often with this treatment, your immune cells are now blowing up this this cancer. The cancer cells, as they die and are, are releasing debris, this might actually initially make cancer markers spike up. And so we just saw it go up. And if you don't know this, you might freak out and say, oh, my gosh, we had a woman down there right now, and between weeks one and two, injections one and two, her, one of her cancer markers went up 12fold. I mean, I've, it's, it, it went from 200 to 3,000. I mean, it was just like an insane jump. Like too fast. That's not cancer progression. If that was normal cancer progression, she she would not be here today. Like that was a very good sign that the immune response was fighting. Now, in her case, between injections two and three, here, it had all it had dropped 90 percent. It had come crashing down. Now, it doesn't always happen that quickly. That's a great sign of pseudoprogression. In line with that, when we do scans, if tumors, especially if multiple tumors all swell up roughly the same uh, percentage or same amount close to treatment, that's great. Why is it swelling? It's swelling because the immune cells are infiltrating, and actually that brings with it fluid. There's a lot of extra cells, and they swell. Now, by scan, you can't tell that by scan, you look and say the tumor's bigger. And so again, if you're not aware of this, and especially if patients go home and their doctors have no idea, they may say, oh my gosh, your cancer markers are elevated and your tumors are bigger. And look, we can't say it's never progression. It could be. We, you know, we, we actually, as a, mankind are trying to figure out how we can distinguish pseudo progression from real progression a little better.
0: Yeah, that would be huge, but that makes, that makes sense to me to see those uh, temporarily increase and then go back down and then decrease overall. If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on and I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses and I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow, but if you were able to eliminate. 99 of those 100 tabs and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, two to three hours before I go to bed which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, prescription and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100% blackout sleep masks that I take with me when I travel all the time, the greatest thing about them, all backed up by science. They gave Keto Camp podcast listeners a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com slash Keto Camp and use the coupon code Keto Camp at checkout, no space in between, to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out, and let's get back to this episode. I have one more question on your treatment, and then I want to finish with keto. Are there any cancers that your immunotherapy works better for? Any cancers that you cannot help? Yeah, any cancers that this works really good with, some that are more difficult, and then some that you cannot even work with at all?
1: Yes, I can answer that, and I'll answer that in a possibly a bit of a random order but uh so as of today we are not treating hematological malignancies which are blood cancers whether it be of the lymphatic system or you know aml or anything we're just we're not treating blood cancers we're not treating heart cancers and we are not treating brain cancers now i say that and and an astute viewer is going to say i thought you were doing a gbm clinical trial which is brain and for the record the trials are gone really well. We're actually being told the FDA may be able to fast track approval for these indications. Absolutely. There's no reason it couldn't work against blood cancer or brain cancer. It's actually more a a matter of of safety. We're not set up in Cancun for the potential of inflammation or swelling in the brain uh, like we are in the States. And so we just wouldn't be prepared for those potential side effects. Whereas if you've got some extra swelling of your tumor in your prostate or you know your liver, your body can handle that. You're not really gonna feel that, that's manageable. In your cranium, it's not, it's not as much. So those are cancers. Blood cancers, and blood cancers we can't biopsy. That's kind of the main issue. We can't actually get a sample of it. So that brings me to what cancers do we treat? Solid cancers that we can safely grab biopsy from. It, it is almost that simple. The immune system does not necessarily care if it started in the pancreas, the spleen, the kidney, the lung. They don't care. It surveys your whole body. It can do it. It can get there. It just needs to see it. And so the questions become, can we get a safe biopsy? You know, sometimes we cannot, uh, just based on its location. It's not considered safe you know, even by the doctors in the U.S., and that does present a problem.
0: Like what? Give me an example. What would be an example of that? Yeah, if, if,
1: a, if a tumor is too intertwined with a, a major artery where you might risk bleeding out, um, for example, it might be considered too dangerous at that time to, to do that. Um, so it's just kind of an example. Lung cancer is a, a 50-50. It depends on how much lung cancer. Inevitably, As I said earlier, with an immune response, is going to be inflammation. How much inflammation can your lungs handle? If you've got a couple small nodules, that's usually fine. But if you've got a lot of lung cancer, this might be too dangerous. So solid cancers that we can grab a biopsy from, Uh, we do typically have to get a fresh biopsy in Cancun because the way biopsies have been stored for pathology and scoring in the States is, is not amenable to our process. So that's usually not going to work. You know, you asked about better or worse responses. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a scientist, but by definition, almost, there have to be some cancers that this will work better for and, and some that won't. We have not identified yet what will be what. You know, we've had a, a neuroendocrine tumor that had nearly vanished before the woman loved Cancun. I mean, was that just her case or is that something where neuroendocrine tumors might be very approachable by this? I I don't know, but that was a very good, very quick response. We had a a triple negative breast cancer patient where her numbers all came back down to baseline and she became what we would call stable for at least five months and and is ongoing. Stable meaning cancer wasn't really getting smaller, but it stopped progressing. It stopped getting bigger. I mean, if it stays there, she's fine, but we obviously, I can't predict the future. So, And she's, you know, this uh, this does illustrate an add-on point of she said five months later, well, what if I help things out by adding a checkpoint inhibitor and some low-dose chemo? And we said, go for it. Our treatment does not rule anything else out. And it, it, it becomes part of, I mean, it, it could do it. It could take it all out. But if it doesn't, or if you don't want to just just rely on that, Absolutely. There are other treatments that might be synergistic and beneficial to add and take it out while you've got it on the run. Um, there's no reason to not at least explore those opportunities.
0: Yeah. And not, not just treatments, but also other lifestyle changes you can make too. Critical. A combination of both. Yeah.
1: Well, Ben, that's where I want to bring you in. And we talked about this. I'm like, I'm going to make you like their life coach and uh, <laughs> tell them, okay, you can't just lay on the couch. You, you've got to at least walk around. It's an immune response. Get moving. What are you eating? I mean, we did have a patient down there and her diet consisted of basically cupcakes and candy. And look, we're we're offering this treatment and and we're going to do that. But we're not necessarily in a great position or, or you know, to tell her what to eat. I mean, we can make suggestions, but it's, you know, if you're just going to eat sugar like that, you're really just fueling the cancer.
0: For sure. Yeah.
1: So, uh, you know, it is uh, lifestyle changes are, are can absolutely be a part of it. Um, So we can treat a lot of cancers though. Uh, It can, and it can be in conjunction with any, you know, with other treatment approaches. Now we may have to work on, should this be done first or later? How aggressive is the cancer? How much time do we have for this immune response to ramp up? Uh, All that goes into our our medical review and, and our decision process. But yeah, no, we can,
0: I think we can help a lot of people. You are already. Uh, It's incredible. I'm just blown away by what you're doing. Uh, How many, you know, rough estimate to date, how many people have you taken through this treatment? Sure. Um, So in a
1: story I don't have time to go into today, we did kind of work a 1.0 version of this treatment with some partners in India over the years while we were at Baylor. Long story I won't go into, but I bring it up because this did lead to a published trial, which did look at 51 patients in a basket catch trial with good results, actually led to a few approvals in India. We then started offering the 2.0 in India, which uh, we treated about 12 patients from the United States, flew to India to get this. We have treated roughly around 15 patients right now in our FDA clinical trials, and we have not yet seen what would be called an SAE or severe adverse event. So we, we keep an eye for that. Is there going to be something severe? But typically, dendritic cells don't work that way, and so we don't usually see what would be considered severe or significant adverse events. And then in Cancun, we're, we're around 20, 25 patients. We, we really just launched this a little over a year ago, um, and we've been admittedly a little bit uh, maybe overly selective with who we're treating. Again, we want to make sure we're ethical and we're, we're doing this correctly. As you know, I'm a scientist with a PhD and in grad school, they don't teach you how to market. That's not really part of my training. So how to get the word out about this and differentiate it from a lot of the other junk has been a little um, challenging. Uh, so a lot of this is just right now word of mouth, someone who knows me and wants to go. But we are uh we've started 2023 pretty pretty hot uh we've got um just eight patients in already for this year uh our target is is 50 for this year so if you add it all up we're probably around about 100 patients we can factor in about 10 dogs that we helped and then of course
0: oh really oh interesting
1: and, and and yeah dogs get cancer so we we will factor that in um in fact there's a, we have a publication where we, we did do a, a pseudo, well, not a pseudo, but a small canine trial. And then, of course, this is all based on about 17 years of research in the lab, um, which constitutes all, all manner of mechanistic understanding and, and whatnot. So uh,
0: That's awesome. I love that. And you know, conversations like this will get the word out. So please share this if you're listening and watching. Share it with somebody you know who has cancer. This, this is a game changer. We got to wrap it up. We got to talk about keto and the article that you've written. But somebody's going to be thinking, what is this cost? And does insurance cover the cost? Or are there some insurance that covers it? So what's the rough estimate of cost if you could share? And does any insurance cover this treatment?
1: Yep. Nope. Thanks for giving me. So right now, insurance, do not count on insurance covering it. It is experimental. It is outside the US. Uh, We have had patients actually get reimbursement, though so we think there might be an avenue because some of the stuff that we have to do such as a biopsy is kind of standard but it's i you should not count on that now 2021 the national cancer institute publishes a paper that points out that late stage and advanced cancers when all is said and done the out-of-pocket costs are about 120 to 145 thousand dollars on average that's in the united states that's if you have insurance Uh, it's not all at once, but you know, those bills trickle in, remember that biopsy, remember that chemo, remember that office appointment, et cetera. It actually adds up in Cancun. Since we cannot do that, we do have to ask for the money up front because that is the money we use to buy all the fresh reagents for the patient. So there is a little bit of sticker shock all in. We're usually around 80,000. So 75 to $85,000. To do this, and again, that's so up upfront, it will say it's $85,000. We have to have that to buy all your stuff. On the one sense, this is actually a great rate. And to, to understand, it covers everything. Uh, that covers everything I mentioned before from doctor's appointments at the beginning, the biopsy, the blood work, the scans, the pathology reports, all the manufacturing, in the lab, paying all of the doctors, all of the scientists, all of the visits. You know, everything throughout covers that. It also covers intra-Cancun transportation. So we pick you up at the airport, we handle all your trips to and from hotels to the medical appointments. And so that's just what it is. If we have to put you up overnight at a hospital or, or something like that, we do not there's no trickle in bills from us. It's just part of the process. So it's already, you know, that that aspect's already covered. But yeah, the, the raw costs of this are unfortunately very high because it's personalized and fresh and it requires a lot of steps.
0: Yeah, understandable. I mean, like you said, you said out-of-pocket people, for those who have insurance with late-stage cancer, they're spending over 120K. This is less than that. And it's actually doing something that may actually work, right? We can't guarantee it, but it may actually work much better than traditional treatment. and look, it's not an expense. It's an investment. If this is this is literally life or death, right? So it's like, yeah, it costs that much, but this is literally life or death for so many people. So I get it. And I'm sure as more people go through this treatment and it becomes more popular, the price could go down a little bit over the absolutely. years, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it
1: will never be cheap. And look, big pharma will never love this approach. I mean, they would much prefer... Uh, a drug you can make that sits on a shelf and it's one size fits all. And this sort of thing where you need dedicated scientists and and a lab and you've got to process everything per patient is, you know, it's time consuming and it's expensive. And so it's never going to be a favorite of big pharma, but exactly what we do seems to be working. And so that's what we do. And, you know, we're, we're trying to do what we can to make this as available as possible for for as many patients as possible.
0: Yep. Yeah. And your website is immunocene.com. So we'll put it down below. Uh, we have a couple more minutes here. You, you know, we wrote an article together, but I would say more accurately, Matt wrote an awesome article and I contributed a bit to it because <laughs> what you did was phenomenal. So speak a little bit about the article. We'll we'll put a link down below for you all to read it. It's a great article, but it's referencing what keto, a ketogenic diet can do to potentially help with cancer or to be a, a great partner to cancer treatment
1: yeah no i can talk uh, about that and um I, I appreciate you giving me so much time to talk about the immune system and cancer when i, I know keto is is really your your thing but yeah i uh, you know we talked in utah about the benefits of or the potential benefits we'll say of keto to to being healthy and then to cancer both before and after and so we decided to write this article which i'm, I'm excited to get, get uh, i probably wrote too much but um, it's there's a lot to write about uh, so uh, there's a lot of benefits to, to going keto rich in a diet it's a it's actually a more uh, you know sustainable long burning fuel for your body um, as I mentioned before it's not the path of least resistance for your body to use energy but it is a healthier path and so uh, I like to to, to go keto rich. I'm not not as much as, as you. I haven't gotten around to that yet, but I'm definitely on that. But what, what struck my interest really is the potential that going keto rich can help in a fight against cancer. Obviously, I'm focused on cancer. So can being keto rich help prevent cancer in your diet? It it would appear as as such. Obviously, we're dealing with patients who are past that point. And so we've got to do a little more. We've got to add some sort of aggressive therapy, you know, this immunotherapy. But there was a publication very recently, and Ben, we might want to add a link to that as well, but it is referenced heavily in the, the blog we wrote, in which scientists were looking at the effects of a what they call a keto-rich diet, but a, a ketogenic diet, on the body's ability to not only fight cancer, but to synergize with immunotherapy in the fight against cancer. And what they found were, and I'm speaking as a scientist, where a lot of times all you see are just incremental movements, just a small change. They actually saw some pretty profound improvements in the body's response to immunotherapy and to eliminating or fighting back the cancer when they were introduced to and sticking to a keto-rich diet versus not, specifically showing effects for BHB or, or beta-hydroxybutyrate, which honestly, that one paper made me a believer that we probably should be, I'm saying this now, we should probably be offering this to all of our patients, not just telling them to eat smarter, but as a way to even boost that. Because, uh, I mean, they, they even show that blockade of the BHB receptor almost eliminates the benefit they saw. I mean, they're very directly linking ketogenic benefits, and I know you can talk a lot more about the metabolism of a, of a keto-rich diet and what comes from that, but, I mean, it, it, again, it was a very well-done publication, and that almost, yeah, I was like, we gotta we gotta write a blog, we gotta let people, I mean, obviously, people should be healthy and not get cancer. That would still be my number one advice. Don't get cancer, It's once you get cancer, it's, it's, it's tough. It just is but even after cancer, uh, people might want to poo-poo, like, you know, oh, it's who cares now about a lifestyle change or who cares about what I eat now? It actually still matters, right? At this point, it literally could be a life or death difference. What are you putting in your body? And so, yeah, I'm really excited to get that that blog out and kind of see what comes, what bounces off of some of those recent publications. and And, you know, maybe we can do some some studies ourselves and, and see what we can't discover there
0: absolutely yeah so much potential there we're, so we're gonna put that article uh, the blog post that we co- co-wrote together in the notes So if you're watching on youtube that could be found down below if you're in the pot listening to the podcast we're gonna put in the n- notes down below and you, you'll see the references that that uh, matt just referenced with the study on a ketogenic diet with immunotherapy Yeah, you're so right because according to the CDC, at least right now in the US, one in three women are diagnosed with cancer within their lifetime for men, one in two. It's just a matter of time. So you want to do everything possible to delay that or avoid that. And for sure, if you have cancer, you want to explore these treatments with a ketogenic diet. We could talk so much more about this. And I think we got to do a round two because there's a lot of groundwork, a lot of areas that we could have gotten into, Matt. But your website is immunocene.com. Where else do you want to send them to check out your work? Or is that the best place?
1: Uh, so I think that is going to be a, a good spot to start. Now we do have a, a Facebook uh, landing page. We are on LinkedIn. We are on, we just started on Instagram. So I, I am trying to get these these social media sites and, and available for, for people to find. Heal Navigator is a really good independent third-party site that refers patients to potentials like this where we have uh, worked with them uh, they have vetted us and verified us that we are are real and not just uh, doing nefarious things in, in Mexico so I think that uh, the site and some of those social media area platforms are good areas to to start to get in touch with us uh, and yeah we're hoping to grow, grow our, our influence and our sphere there. Because like, like I said, I know that there are patients out there that can benefit from this if they just hear about it. Uh, you know, There's an analogy there <laughs> to what we're doing. But if we can just get the word out to the, this population, I think we could be very helpful.
0: 100%. We're going to put links for that down below. Real quick, last question is on vitamin G gratitude. What are you grateful for, Matt?
1: I am grateful. Uh, I've become increasingly grateful that I actually get to do this. I get to do something legitimately meaningful. Uh, Not everyone necessarily has that. And, and, you know, I have the opportunity to actually transform people's lives. Some of the responses, this is very hard. It's very hard to work in the space of cancer. I honestly don't know how oncologists do it because you are facing a lot of really tough situations, but giving people extra life or better quality of life, or even more than that, um, and seeing Chris is one of the testimonials on her site. I met him. His kids were nine and 11. He had months to live. He's now five years in remission. His kids are, you know, his oldest kid is driving. He's still here for that. I mean, he gets to see that. His kids still have their father. And as a father myself, like it just, I don't know. It just, I'm actually, I mean, it's a lot of work and I've made plenty of mistakes, but this is a very meaningful thing to do with, with life. Um, and it's really exciting. It's ever changing. And that's, that's my answer. My answer is actually being able to do this has is, is made me extremely grateful in and of itself.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful. You're doing incredible work, Matt. Thank you. I'm so grateful our paths have crossed and we'll talk a little bit more about how we could bring the ketogenic approach to your your patients. But thank you so much. Everybody share this, go to the website and stay tuned for uh, a round two at Matt coming out later this year. So thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I told you that was going to be such a phenomenal, important conversation on the big C cancer. If you want to learn more about the work Dr. Matt Halpert is doing and his colleagues over at Aminocene, go to aminocene.com. Check out the links and resources down below which includes the article we wrote on the ketogenic diet for cancer as well. That could be found down below in the podcast notes. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview with Dr. Matt, head over to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, somebody you know who has cancer. This could be life-changing for them. And leave the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already. Go get registered for our upcoming 7-Day Keto Kickstart Challenge. It's free and it's just a couple days away, head over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you on the next one.